Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given by Tom Job on the morning of February 26th, 2023 from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 2. So, you know, so we're doing a thing kind of for the Lenten season that, um, it, well, it comes, it, it came out of Luke chapter 22 when, um, when Jesus, his disciples said, where are we going to, like the Passover, we haven't even done our shopping. And Jesus said, just go into the city and you'll see a guy with a water jar on his head and follow him and go into the house that he goes into and you'll find everything ready for us. And they went into the city. There was a guy with a water jar on his head. They followed him into the house. And it said everything was just as Jesus said it would be. And it just made me think about things. How many things, like, in the life we live that Jesus said something about it? And we find it's just the way Jesus said it would be. So I wanted to read to you guys something out. of This comes out of Mark chapter 2, where, um, okay, it says, no one sows. Um, no one's. Maybe I'll just. I'll pray first. So, Lord Jesus, help us to understand this. Help us to something so beautiful. I mean, it's such a beautiful concept. Um, and I think that so much is riding on us getting this especially for the you know, years to come of our personal life and people that we love and people in our house and they need us to understand this. It's so beautiful. You're so beautiful. We're so thankful. So in Luke, Mark chapter two, it says in verse 21, now no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskin will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. There's a place in, in Luke when Luke, lots of times, he adds stuff that other people don't. Here's how he put it nobody puts, nobody pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins, and the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no, Luke's the only one who says this, no one after drinking the old wine wants the new, because they say the old is better. And if this is about finding things to be just the way Jesus said, that is so true. I mean, there's people who just say, like, wine, if it's old, it's better. And Italian people do not believe that. They, they believe, and it's, I, it's, it's probably not really true. I mean, it's just, I think it's probably a snooty thing, but they, but like, so like Italians, Italians say the, like the wine, the, the wine is good. It's not how many, how many years ago it was bottled. It was what year it was bottled. Like there's certain years where the weather's just right. So we went to Italy in 1985. 1985 was the best year in like 50 years. So that, and so that wine was like super good. But Italians believe it's not so much the age, but the wine you drink, it has to be made in the region that you're in. So like if you take it out of the region, like every region has their wine. If you take it out of the region, it will taste funny. 
They said, and the fact that they sell their wine in America, they think that is, I mean, they're glad to make the money, but they think it's ridiculous. And they think it's because Americans don't know anything about it. But so, but if, so if wine is old, so there was a bottle of wine. Okay, so this was a bottle of wine of Grand Constance, which they make in South Africa, that was sent to St. Helena to Napoleon in 1821 and he died before he could drink it and it went back to South Africa and somebody sold it for $30,000 in an auction and I bet it's terrible. I mean, it's like 200 years old. I bet it's gross, but also because it went halfway around the world. Like, okay, so the oldest, okay, the oldest bottle of wine that anybody knows about, it's a bottle of wine in a glass bottle and it was bottled in Spire, Germany, and it was found in Spire, Germany. But it's 17, so it's right where it was made, but it's 1,700 years old. I bet it's, I don't care if it stayed right there. I bet it is so, I bet it's disgusting. So anyway, but that, that's what people always say. So. Italians don't, so Italians, um, like Italians are super cool about, um, about the, so Italians are super cool about the way, they, so the, the way they drink wine, like they, they, they're very moderate in almost everything, like moderation is not like an American thing. Somebody said like America, so Italians like they'll drink a glass with dinner, maybe, maybe two, that's it. But Americans, um, people say Americans always blow up every balloon until it pops. And so I remember one time we did a thing. We were, it, was do, it was kind of an outreach that, that, that Sam and Joan were doing in their church, you know. So I kind of went to it. And they were, doing, they were inviting all their Italian friends, and it was an American dessert night. And so uh, everybody brought all their American desserts, and everybody was getting a plate with like eight things or ten things. And I was like, no, no, no. They don't do this. Like, only we do this kind of thing. Like, Italians don't do this. I don't think this is helping in, in any way. There was, um, although Italians, it is true that somebody uh, in 2019, a senator passed legislation that, in, that they would teach winemaking one hour a week in his region's elementary school. So from grade three to grade six, you would take one hour of winemaking a week. But, and there was a town, it was not too far from our place called Settecani, where there was a wine silo and it had seeped into the water supply and was coming out of the faucet of people's houses. So that was, and some people thought that was really amazing but but anyway anyway so um, there's so what what am I talking about why am I oh I know so I know why I'm talking about this is because so there's this thing that Jesus so the way they made the way so back in biblical days the way they made wine was with um, you know, they get all the grapes and, the, and then there would be like a seven day fermentation. I was kind of reading up on this and it's not because I learned it in elementary school, but the, so there's like a seven day fermentation period and then they stomp on it with their feet and then, they, and then all the like liquid goes in, into these, like the wine bottles that they have and then it ferments until like four to six months. But the wine bottles that they used were actually like leather bags. 
And so, and Jesus said, you have to put like new wine into, like wine that's new wine into a leather bag that hasn't been stretched out yet. And the reason is because like new wine, it's effervescent. It's like bubbly. It's like swelling. It's going to swell up. Like in Italian, they would say it's, it's frizzante. And it's just always bubbling up and it's going to be swelling up. And the bottle that it's in, the leather bottle, has to be able to swell. Like it has to be able to swell with it. And if you use an old bottle that's already all stretched out, when the new wine, which is when it's fermenting and it's effervescent and it's just swelling, if the bottle can't stretch with it, it will just explode and you'll lose the bottle and you'll lose the wine. And Jesus, the reason he said that is because he was basically saying that concepts, like concepts that Jesus was communicating to people and things that he was teaching them. He said, when it goes into your mind and into your heart, it's effervescent. It's, it will swell like it's bubbling. It's just fermenting. And you have to have a mind and a heart that is able to experience Band. Like that's just, you can't have a, a mind, like a mind, I mean, like the kind of thing where a person said, well, I've always been of the opinion that, or, well, our people have always believed that, or I can't wait till I get to retweet this right here. Okay, so those are the kind of attitudes that are not going to help you. Like you have to have a mind that is just able to grow. So, and doesn't feel like it already knows everything, you know? So in the gospel, so in the gospel of Mark, like in Mark chapter two, so the gospel, the gospel of Mark is basically, so Mark is Peter's story. So the apostle Peter was, um, John Mark was like his spiritual kind of kid, really, eventually. And so all the stories that are in the Gospel of Mark, most scholars say these are Peter's stories. And Mark took them and wrote them down and arranged them and had a narrative that he wanted to tell with them. And it was intended to go to the Christian community, the community of followers of Jesus that lived in the city of Rome. So they already had the letter that was written to them that went to Rome. And it's, there's a very interesting thing. Like if you go to the very last chapter of the letters to the Romans and you, you learn about that community because it talks about a lot of people who live there. And, there. and it's people who are so different. Like there was a couple, Andronicus and Junia. And it said, and they were probably a, a professional business couple who traveled, but it also said that they were prominent among the apostles and the, uh, not the 12 apostles because there had only been like one vacancy and they filled it up really quick. But the word apostle is the word that kind of means missionary. And I mean, it kind of has the idea of missionary. And it's just like that there was this couple and there was this woman who was a prominent missionary. And if you look through the history of the movement of Jesus, it's filled with women who are unbelievable missionaries. There was a woman that Mary Slessor of Africa, there was a woman named Lilius Trotter, who's one of my favorite people in all the world. She was John Ruskin, who was the leading art critic of the 
19th century said that she had the potential to be the greatest painter of that century. But he told her, you're going to have to give your whole life to this. And she said, I can't because I've already given my life away to Jesus. And she went to be a pioneer, innovative, massively creative missionary in Algeria for 30 years. And she's amazing. She was, she was just amazing. Hudson Taylor used to get criticized because he sent women, single women, two by two, into the farthest regions of China. And they were amazing. And he said, where are the men? Where are the men who will go? These women are brave, and they will go. And the men's favorite hymn is, take my wife and let me be. And so, and he said, so, but there were also people in Rome that were slaves, and several of them that were slaves. And then there, were, there was a person who scholars believe was a prominent member of the family of the Emperor Claudius, and another who was of the household of the Emperor Nero. So all of these people who are so dramatically different from each other, and they've become this community, a family. How did that happen? And the Gospel of Mark said it's because um, Peter, who eventually became one of the pastors of that community, had a mind and a heart that was able to stretch so much with the concepts of the joy and love of Jesus, which is effervescent and bubbling and fermenting and swelling. And you have to be able to expand your mind. And so, like in chapter 8 of uh, the Gospel of Mark, there's a place where Jesus had, they had gone on a retreat with his guys, and he said, okay, so who do people say that I am? And uh, some people say you're this, some people say you're that. Well, who do you say? And Peter said, you are the Messiah. Um, which that thought in a mind and a heart is basically saying, the ultimate solution to the problems of this broken, messed up, hurtful world are not ultimately going to be politics or policies or principles. It's a person. There is a king coming, and he is going to take over the world. And the only thing about that is that Peter had known that. Like when he said, oh, you're the Messiah, he had known that for about two and a half years. So like in John chapter one, the very first day he met Jesus. So um, his brother Andrew and his friend John, they had met Jesus. And then Andrew went to get Peter and said, we have found the Messiah. And he brought Peter and he met Jesus. And he knew from the very first day that Jesus was the Messiah. And it's so interesting because if I'm counting the days right in John chapter one and two, Two days after that, Jesus was invited to a wedding with, his, with these guys. And it said that Jesus went to the wedding. It didn't say that he went to the wedding with his new friends. It said he went to the wedding with his disciples. So within two days, Peter had enrolled in the school of Jesus. So the word disciple is a word that means student. It's the word Christian is used in the New Testament three times. Disciple is used 264 times. It's a word that means I am a learner. It's, it means I really don't think I know anything. And pretty much everything I know for sure is probably wrong. Like the, like in John chapter, like Jesus, the first message that Jesus gave to people was repent, which is a word that basically means 
to change, and it's the word mind or thinking. And it's like you have to change, you're gonna have to change the way you think about pretty much everything. And if you think you already know how things are, or you already know what's up, or you know what's right, you're not gonna go far in this. So Peter had enlisted in that school of discipleship, and I'm just here to learn. And they went to a wedding, and weddings were big deals where it's like the young couple were, you know, they would have the wedding parade and um, whatever happened to the wedding parade? I mean, it was, and then they would throw candy to all their friends. And then, you know, they were probably 12 and 13, 13 and 14, but they were king and queen for a week. And it was a week of singing and dancing and eating and drinking wine and all of that. And, she, and, so, and then all of a sudden, you know the story how the wine ran out. And Jesus, Jesus miraculously, the first miracle he ever did, made 120 gallons of the best wine ever. But he didn't do it as a promotional stunt. He just did it so that nobody knew. He just did it. And Peter's going away thinking, wow, the Messiah, the King, he just likes joy. He loves joy. He loves celebrating love. It's this. That was just about celebrating love. The Messiah loves love. The, actually, Peter, Andrew, and John were transfer students. They had been in the school of John the Baptist. John the Baptist didn't believe in wine, and he didn't believe in food, and he ate bugs, and he didn't believe in fun. And I noticed he didn't get invited to that wedding. So they, and it was just like, so that just goes into his heart, and it just starts to ferment. The Messiah loves love, loves joy. He loves celebrating joy. Wow. And then the next thing that happened is they went on their first road trip, and they went to Jerusalem, and they went, and they went to the temple. And, so, and the temple was this magnificent building that had been funded by Herod and his wife, and he was so, he was so awful. It's kind of like those PBS shows that said funding was provided by Mr. and Mrs. Herod and Herodias Agrippa. Thank you, you know, but, but, it was, but the temple was a 3D diorama with live action figures and live farm animals and, and just choirs and orchestras. And it was a way that people could learn how to be welcomed by God into his world, into his people, into his space, how to come in. And there was a big deck that ran all the way around where the real action was taking place. And it was made for people, international people who had come, or people from what they called Gentiles. But the word Gentile, in the, in the New Testament, the word that's translated Gentile is always the word ethnoi were ethnicities. It was a place for people of different nationalities and all the people of different ethnicities where they could learn and watch. The only problem is that people had taken up their space with their booze to change their money and it was kind of like a farmer's market and they were selling them animals if they wanted to sacrifice and farmer's markets are awesome but they're not awesome there because that was their space and so Jesus forcibly moved all of those tables and all of those people and got them out. and and so that these people could have their space to watch. And people always talk about the anger of Jesus and how angry it was. It never says that he was angry. John said it was passion. 
He was passionate. He was passionate about people from different ethnicities and people, people, different international people, all people being welcomed into his people. He was passionate about that, that this is about different people. And Peter's like, I don't really care about this. Like, I don't really care about these people. I don't care this much about people who are from other countries or from other ethnicities. But the Messiah cares about this a lot. He is passionate about this. That's going to go into my heart. It's going to go into my mind. And it's going to ferment. And it's going to grow. And it's going to swell up. And it's going to swell up. And it's going to be effervescent. And I better have a mind that can expand with that. So, um, then, okay, so after their freshman year, and they were going into their second year. That's when Mark starts. And that's when Jesus said to Peter, who was out fishing, you know, okay, just leave this and follow me. Let's do this. Let's don't be part-time students. Let's be full-time students, you know. Um, what actually, what had actually happened in Luke chapter 5 is that Peter had been fishing all night. And Jesus had said to him, okay, I want you to put your boat out into the middle of the lake and cast down your nets one more time. And Peter said, oh. <laughs> Bless your heart. <laughs> You're so smart. You're so, you know, but I know this stuff. And so it's not how you catch him. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, whatever you say. And uh, he went out, let his nets down, you know, filled with fish. And Jesus just like, I need you to remember this. I need you to remember. I need you to remember while you're in my school. I always know more than you, especially in those places when you think you know more than me. So anyway, what happened? Jesus said, follow me. So they did. And then, the, and then you flip the page. And he's going through Peter's town. And there's a guy who has a booth in the middle of the town. And he's a tax collector. He's like a tax. He's a traitor. He's a traitor to his people. He's ripped Peter off so many times. He's probably charged him 28% on the fish that he caught. It's just a guy named Levi. And Jesus walks up to him. And Peter's like, yeah, I can't wait to see what happens. And Levi's probably like waiting for Jesus to say, Levi, I'm going to close my eyes and count to 10 if you're still sitting here. But he didn't. He said, Levi, follow me. And Peter's like, what? Follow? You just said, follow me to me. Now you're saying, follow me to him? That means we're following you together. I'm walking side by. And before you know it, he found himself in another party with all of Levi's friends, the only kind of people that would be friends with him, who were prostitutes and who were like all these different kinds of people. One thing that Luke tells us is that these were all people. When it talks about Jesus hanging out with prostitutes and sinners and all, they were, they were all people who had been baptized by John the Baptist. They were all people who said, I want to rethink my life as well. I'm a student too. I don't know anything. I'm looking for Jesus for new answers. And so, but then, so they're having this gigantic party. And then Peter's like, Peter's like saying, oh, okay, at this point, um, it's one thing to open my mind and my heart up to people who are ethnically different from me, but, for but to open my life up to people who are ethically different than me. Um, I'm learning that the Messiah parties with publicans and prostitutes and poor people and, and pagans. And he welcomes the weak. He welcomes the weary. He welcomes women. He welcomes women into this thing. 
women are his disciples in his school. There is no record of any other rabbi who ever enrolled women in their school, and they were a part of their traveling school. It says that Mary, the sister of Martha, was always at the feet of Jesus. That's a technical word. It's a word that means in the school, on the front row. He remembers the forgotten. He accepts the rejected. He reaches the untouched. He cares for the neglected. He loves the hateful. He loves people I've always hated. This is stretching me about as far as I can go. I'm so deep in this movement, and now almost everybody who's in it is so different from me. Well, anyway, that went on for another year and a half or so, and then, and then Jesus went away with his guys, and he said to them, um, who do people say that I am? And they said, uh, this or that. And Peter said, you're the Messiah. Well, he had known that. But what he was saying, I think he knew from the very first day that Jesus was the Messiah, but he was saying to Jesus, I never knew that the Messiah would be you. I never knew he would be like you. You're unlike anything I've ever expected. And my mind has stretched so far. And then Jesus began to tell them for the very first time, about six months before it happened, that he was going to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be rejected, and be killed, and rise on the third day. And Peter said, no, 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 no. That is farther than I can stretch to think that you have brought me into this thing with all these people who are so different from me, and now you're going to die and leave me stuck with them? And Jesus said, Get, behind, get, get away, Satan. So Jesus wasn't talking to Peter. Well, anytime Jesus you know, calls you Satan, you're really having a bad day. But, it, <laughs> but I think he was talking to Satan because Satan was talking to Peter. And Satan was saying to Peter, buddy, you have stretched so far. You have stretched your mind and your heart so far. You have stretched as far as anyone could possibly be expected to stretch. But this right here is too much. And if it, if I had been, if it had been, you know, if it had been kind of like those Tom and Jerry cartoons where you have like the devil on his shoulder and little somebody, if I could have been the other guy on the other shoulder, on Peter's other shoulder, I would have said, hang in there, buddy. You're about to stretch further than you've ever been stretched in your life. But you're also about to know a joy of new wine that you've never known. This is going to super, super stretch you because you are going to find out how much what Jesus was talking about. I can't really tell you because it would be cheating. But what Jesus was talking about was how much it was going to cost him to welcome these people who are so different from you into his world, into his space, into his people. You're also about to find out you're not as different from them as you think you are. So Jesus said to Peter on the night he was arrested, he said, Peter, Satan is trying to mess with you. He's asked permission to. And I gave him a green light. What? And it's because he underestimates something that he didn't calculate because his heart has never stretched one millimeter. But I have prayed for you. And he doesn't count me on that. And when you come back, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said, what? I would go to prison for you. I would die for you. 
I am more than you think I am. And Jesus said, no. The reason I know this about you is that I am more than you think I am. And you are less than you think you were. And so when Jesus was in the palace of Caiaphas and he was being interrogated and Peter was by a campfire and he was watching what was going on and a girl said, are you one of them? And he said, no, 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 no. Oh yeah, you're one of him, his, his guys. I am not one of his guys. And a guy said, I can tell by that accent of yours, you're one of those Galileans. And he began to cuss and to swear. And he said, I don't even know what you're talking about. And Jesus, who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, kept every bird in Jerusalem quiet and said, now, and a rooster crowed. And Peter looked at Jesus and Jesus looked at Peter and it was a look of love. And, it's, and it was a look that said, I need you to remember this moment. I need you to remember, I always know more than you. And so when, um, after, when Jesus was risen from the dead and the women went to the tomb in Mark chapter 16, and they, and they said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, he's risen. Go and tell his disciples and Peter. I believe in, from Luke chapter 24 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Peter and Jesus had a private meeting where Jesus explained why he had to die in that horrible way. And I think for the very first time, Peter realized, I have stretched so far. I have stretched so far to realize that I am a part, that I was a part of a movement of people that are so different from me. And now I've stretched to the point where I realize I wasn't different from them. And now I realized you knew I wasn't different from them the day you welcomed me into your school. And I, I think when he had the opportunity a month and a half later to explain this story, he was so full of joy that everybody said, you all have been drinking new wine. And in a way, he had. It was the new wine of Jesus that had just welled up and swelled up into his heart. And he preached the message of Jesus and invited people from all over the world into this thing. There's a, uh, I had a thing this week where, I, I, I mean, whenever you love someone, and I've always loved people, and then they disappoint you, and it's just like, oh, and I realized they reached a place where they stopped stretching. I, was, I read some things about a person I've always loved. The guy named Deal Moody, I just love him. He went to Chicago when he was 20. He was hoping to be a millionaire by the time he's 30. He started reaching out to kids in the worst slums of Chicago. He had 1,400 kids, white kids, black kids, native kids, Asian kids. He loved them all. In 20 years, he had become one of the most famous people in the world, preaching the gospel to, in massive auditoriums. And in 1885, he did a tour of the southern United States. And church leaders and the white church leaders, they arranged it so that all of his meetings, there would be separate meetings for white people. And then they would have a meeting for black people. And, black, and, black, and he, would, he would invite all the pastors 
for 50 miles around to come to a meeting to organize. But he never invited the black pastors. And it started to be noticed by people like Francis Gremke and Ida B. Wells, 17-year-old W.E.B. Du Bois and Frederick Douglass. And they said, this isn't right. We're brothers in Christ. This isn't right. And I th they, so in Galveston, they wrote a letter. The black pastors said, we the undersigned, the ministers of Galveston, with, while sympathizing with the efforts of our friends to elevate the moral and religious sentiments of our community, cannot give our countenance to the discrimination made by the committee in their arrangements, unless it can be shown that there is a heaven for black souls and there is a heaven for white souls. Otherwise, we respectfully asked to be excused. He came to Knoxville, he came to Chattanooga. It became a national thing. And in Atlanta, they said, our special correspondent from Atlanta recites the, flag, the fact that blacks are barred from the privilege of listening to the eloquence of Moody and the melody of Sankey because, of, because they're black. Indeed, they are deprived of a chance to be saved on account of their color. We, the men and Christians, entitled to respectful consideration from ministers of the gospel, and as Christians, we wish for nothing more, and as men, we can submit to nothing less. And I thought, how did he do that? Why did he do that? And I just thought, sometimes people get to a place where they say, I've, you know, I, I've stretched as far as I can stretch. But people that, people that are the best are people who stretch their whole entire life and they never stop stretching and they never let the message stop bubbling up and they, never, and they get to a point where they're like, I forgive everybody, I'll never judge anybody. I, 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 I just love Jesus, I just wanna find people to love. I wanna grow and grow and grow and grow and I want the new wine of Jesus in my heart and the message of his love and the message of his joy to grow and grow and grow and grow and change the way I feel and change the way I think and I never wanna stop changing how I think and feel, and I just want to be so full. I think about, I think about, um, about a person like Mary Bethune. Mary Bethune was the 13th of 15 child children, the first child to be born in, in, South, in Southern South Carolina in her family after the, um, the end of slavery. And all she wanted in her life was to serve Jesus and to live in a house that had glass windows. And she, and um, she, a woman paid for her to go to boarding school and then someone paid for her to go to Moody Bible Institute. And all she dreamed of was being a missionary in Africa and there wasn't any missionary society that would accept an African-American to be a missionary in Africa. <laughs> And I thought, come on, like, and so she said, I am going to make, oh, I am going to make Daytona, Florida, my new Africa. And she started reaching out to children, to African-American kids and teaching them how to read. And she had a dollar 75 and she rented a building and she trusted God for the $11 that she would need every month to pay the rent. And she gathered all of these kids and she made pies and sold them. And she sang on street corners to make money for her school. And she filled the school with her kids. And the Ku Klux Klan came to burn their school down. And she took those children on the porch of the school and they began to sing, be not afraid, whate'er be tied, God will take care of you through every day or all the way. He will take care of you. And we sang the Klan off our campus. And she became an advocate 
for teaching African-American kids and teaching them how to read and teaching them how to write and teaching them about Jesus. And she got the attention of Eleanor Roosevelt and she became an advisor to Fred, to Theodore, to, to F.D. Franklin Delano Roosevelt in 1953. She was sent by President Truman as special emissary to Liberia in Africa. She got to go. And I want to grow. I want my heart and my mind to grow. So one time we were in Washington, D.C. This was a few years ago, and I used to jog every morning on the mall. And I'd go up on the Lincoln Memorial every morning because there was always something happening. And one day there was a woman there, and they were filming her. And she was an African-American woman wearing clothes from like the 20s. And I waited, and I, stood, and I said, what are y'all doing? They said, we're making a documentary about American that few people know. And I said, who? And they said, Mary Bethune. I said, I love Mary Bethune. And they said, how do you know Mary Bethune? I said, she couldn't be a missionary in Africa because she was African-American. But she became a champion of children and was sent to Africa by Harry Truman. And the girl looked at the guy and said, is that true? He, she said, yeah, he's right. So <laughs> let us never, ever, ever, ever stop growing, okay? Let's like let our mind and our heart grow and grow and grow with the message of his joy and the message of his love, no matter what thought it has changed in us, no matter what, you know, no matter what. Lord Jesus, new wine, it's in us, it's bubbling, it's effervescent and growing. Give us a heart that is not stubborn. <laughs> Let us be disciples to the end of our days. Let us be students to the end of our days. Let us say to ourselves every day, my Lord Jesus knows more than me. And let us grow. In your precious, beautiful name, amen. My heart is still, my hands are wide open, my ears turn to hear the words you have spoken, and I want to follow you. Yes, I will follow you. My past is behind me, my eyes are ahead Your mercy defines me and I want to follow you Yes, I will follow you
Yes, I will follow 